Hey guys, before we get into this episode of the Zookeeper Stories podcast, I just want to let you know that there are a few audio issues having to do with some connection issues Brad and I were having, mostly on my end, but the content was so good and uh, it's been a while since we had an episode, so I wanted to release it anyway. So please bear with us through some of the skipping and jumping around. I've cleaned it up as much as I possibly can, and uh, I hope you enjoy this talk with Brad Sorrell. Specifically, for me, I really enjoyed his uh, his research on carcass feeds in a zoo setting for carnivores. So please enjoy this episode of the Zookeeper Stories podcast, and I apologize again for any of the audio issues that might be annoying. You are listening to the Zookeeper Stories Podcast with your host, Matthew Price. The goals of this show are to share the stories of animal care professionals around the world, give advice on how to get to the field, and share information that will help out new zookeepers. One of the most common questions people in our field are asked is, how did you get your job? I hope to shed some light on that question and many more by investigating the origin stories of the people on the front lines of the animal care world, the zookeepers. Welcome back to another episode of the Zookast. I am your host, Matt Price, and it has been a while since July, in fact, you guys, and uh, just haven't had uh, too much interest in guests uh, being on the show. But Mr. Brad Sorrell, he is a grad student at University, former zookeeper, so I'm excited to uh, to chat with him today. He reached out and said, hey, I'd like to be on the show, and that's awesome because I needed guests like nobody's business. So, uh, Brad, uh, welcome to the show. How are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you so much much for being on. Let's just jump right into it. Talk a little bit about what you're doing in grad school right now and, and really just what you're doing with your life right now post zookeeping. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I am, like I said, currently in graduate school at Colorado State University and it's um, a master's program. It's a very long name. So it's called the Professional Science Master's Program in Zoo, Aquarium, and Animal Shelter Management. Uh, so it's a pretty big variety array there, uh, but I focus mostly in the zoo field. Um, I have worked in zoos in the past for about a total three years, if you add it all together. And now I am in going into my last semester, uh, just kind of the home stretch of graduate school and hoping to get back into zoos right after that. So, so where do you want? So, first of all, what made you want to go get this master's degree? And then, second, like, what do you hope to use this master's degree to help you with in your uh, pursuit for a new career in the zoo industry? Yes. Yeah, so, um, I wanted to get this master's uh, master's degree and kind of go into this field because I was hoping to get a lot more supervisory um, and management experience and uh, knowledge. Um, I'll probably talk about it a little bit later, but uh, the zoos that I worked at were, um, or the places I worked with were smaller, and I didn't really have a lot of room to uh, grow into supervisory roles, and that's something that I'm wanting to do for the future. So I thought a new uh, new venue would be a good good start, and um, you know, getting some of that educational background uh, would be really great too, and. I've got a second part of your question. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't know. That's okay. So uh, what what exactly do you want to do now with this with this new degree you're going to have uh, within the zoo industry? Is it that you want to go into a management field already or or are you going to go back into a keeper status, a keeper kind of role initially or what, what kind of what's your plan post-graduate uh, work? Yes. So I am uh, hoping probably straight afterwards to go kind of back into uh, animal care, keeper level stuff, um, but with the uh, intent to kind of move further along into um, you know supervisory roles, lead keeper. Uh, hopefully, uh, my plan hopefully is to get up to kind of curator level type stuff. Um, and yeah, like I said, you know, that's a lot of managing people and something that I uh, haven't always been great at in the past. So I thought I would get some get some know how on how to do it. Nice. So yeah, that's that's that sounds good. Um, so 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 really, you went went ahead and did this now for something you're looking forward to in the future, but maybe not necessarily uh, right away in terms of managing a zoo. Like, is your dream one day to be to be a curator of a zoo or a president of a zoo or or, or whatever title you're looking for there? Yes, I'm hoping to go curator. I'm not real sure if I'm going to want to go to like director or president kind of uh, level <laughs> with that, but uh, still curator have some 
uh, semblance of uh, interaction with the animals and stuff, um, but still be able to kind of uh, guide the zoos in directions um, with you know conservation and animal care and everything else that the curators do. So, yeah, probably nice. not a whole lot further than that on the plans, but we'll see. You know, life takes you places. Yeah, yeah, yeah curator or a collection manager or something and play a little like real life zoo tycoon right <laughs> right right basically uh yeah so uh all right so let's so that's cool we know about your future what you're doing right now let's uh let's go back a little bit actually let's uh to your your your, your formative years i guess so to speak um did you know pretty early on that you wanted to do something with animals professionally or, or was it kind of something you discovered later in life uh, yes, I always wanted to do uh, animals, and um, basically, from stories from my parents, um, I was way too young to know this, but they tell me that my first words were actually owl and squirrel. Uh, I know those are very difficult words to say, so I just had to take them with their words, but uh, it's kind of a sign. It's like, yeah, I was, I was going to do animals. Um, first consciously, though, it was about second grade when I kind of really got into animals and just stuck with it really hard. Um, did a, a whale research when we were in second grade, which looking back is like, I don't know why second graders were doing that. It was very basic, but uh, just got me really interested in it and uh, kept with it through, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school. Um, did volunteering at uh, the local zoo in Texas where I'm from, uh, Cameron Park Zoo in Waco, Texas. Uh, did that for three years in the summers, just doing the kids camps and um, kind of all that stuff. And that was kind of my first introduction into the zoo life at that time. That's awesome. So uh, were your parents or anyone else in your, your life like really supportive in that and like try to foster stuff? Like did they try to provide you with opportunities to go and, and kind of seek out that that passion for animals? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, parents are very supportive of it. Um, I mean, they, they were kind of always pushing me to do whatever it was I was wanting to do. Um, at the time, it really wasn't even zoos though that i was wanting to get into it was um kind of academia uh, well when i was okay. in high school i was thinking more towards academia um research you know working with zoos out in the wild um more so than it was zoo setting um that was several years after college even that i started turning towards zoo what, um, what, yeah. what kind of was it that, that made you kind of change your mind from wanting to do like field research to you know like, like direct hands-on animal keeping yeah so um it was actually from talking to a potential phd graduate uh professor um because i was talking to him i'd, I'd been to africa a couple times in college and i was talking to him about that and how much i liked you know working out in the field and uh just you know i was like oh, i'm just so excited to go out and uh work with or watch the animals and do all that stuff and he kind of paused for a second i could like hear that audible pause and he said well it's more gonna be stuff in the lab than it is uh <laughs> out in the field and then a lot more inside stuff and doing statistics and i was like oh okay well we might be looking at something different then um so it was uh it was only a few months after that i started an internship um at a uh, turpentine creek wildlife refuge that's uh, a in arkansas uh, working with tigers and uh lions and a lot of big cats and after the first six months, I decided, I was like, yeah, I think working with animals like in this kind of venue is really what I want to be doing. And yeah, uh, that's kind of how I turned to it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I had a similar experience. I mean, I I kind of did. I kind of ventured out of the zookeeping field a little bit once I was already in it and did a little bit of teaching and I did a, did, a, did some lab work for for about three months is about as long as I lasted because <laughs> yeah, yeah you if you're the type of person that, like most keepers are you know you want to be outside and, and and doing stuff not in an office setting or, or a basement lab setting or something like that oh, you want to yes. be, be out and and so yeah that's awesome so you you had your internship so um, what came after well, well let's go back to that internship exactly were you doing there um, but what kind of things were you keeping at that point yes yeah, so uh it's uh, a big cat rescue sanctuary um in arkansas at the time i was there they had between i think it was 90 to like 110 120 cats um there was a group of like you know 16 to 18 interns um doing most of the animal care 
uh, type stuff. So I mean, that, that was, I really considered that my first keeper experience, even though it was internship. Yeah. Um, because I mean, it was one of those things where you know it's you and one other intern. Uh, and you know, we all get trained and everything, but then it's you and one other intern going out and doing the keeper stuff. That's what full-time paid staff is typically, um, doing construction on new exhibits, uh, or new habitats and, uh, a lot of their medical paperwork. Um, you know, they come and help with a lot of the cleaning stuff too, uh, when needed. Uh, but it's really the interns doing the main on the ground keeper work and uh, you know all the feeding all the cleaning the food prep everything that comes with it and then you know we finish that by noon and building habitats in the afternoon most of the time that's awesome it sounds so it sounds like like basically right away you were pretty much thrown into the fire pretty much yeah yeah it is uh it was a two-week training period and then you get checked off on staff is comfortable with you being around the cats and that you're not going to stick your fingers inside and do anything crazy and uh then you're you're out doing it for uh six months uh six days a week 10 hours a day you know uh on on your little intern stipend six um, days a week 10 hours a day yeah in the summer it was oh, 10 hours uh, i think it was 10 hours a day in the summer and then uh they cut it back i think it was eight or nine in the winter months um but yeah it was it was tough but it, honestly it's when I think back on it, maybe it's just because I was younger, but like that was that internship, I didn't get exhausted as much as I did keep doing my other keeping jobs, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week. So it was just it, it was just a really enjoyable experience all the way around. You know, never felt like uh, I was dragging or like having to force myself to go into work. It was, it was just a, a really ex exciting and uh, great experience the whole time I was there and. Um, Kind of, kind of, really, like I said, got, got me into the keeping and got me into uh, animal care. This place have things other than cats. Do they have bears by chance? They do. Yeah, they have uh, probably almost ten or twelve now. Um, when I was there, they had fewer. I think they only had about five. Um, but yeah, uh, one grizzly bear and four black bears when I was there, and I think they've had another huge rescue that brought in six or so more bears so I, I was at a, a conference in 2013 uh, the advancing bear care conference and oh. i'm pretty sure there was somebody from turpentine creek there that i that i talked to i can't remember the names off the top of my head but uh okay uh, yeah so that, that name sounded familiar to me yeah yeah it's uh let's say with so many interns you know there's you know 18 turning over every six months or so we've uh, we've spread out and kind of divided and conquered everywhere <laughs> uh, there's a good chance that there's an intern uh, or former intern from there uh, in the zoo, and it's, yeah, I know there's one in San Diego because she was she worked with me. So um, I don't know oh, okay. what apartment she's in right now, but uh, she yeah she was with me and she works at San Diego now. What's her name? What's, do you know? Um, name? Oh my gosh, Sarah, and I'm blanking on her last name. I know so many Sarahs now that all their last names are blending together. <laughs> uh, right. Sarah, I think she's probably like thirty. I'll look now. out for. Yeah. Sorry. I think. Yeah, I just, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure there's a. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a Sarah database somewhere I can look at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, okay. Um, so what what happened after? Thank you. You weren't um, kind of after that. Did you kind of moved on to something else? Uh, yes. So after that internship, I did two six month internships. Um, and afterwards, I, I was still young and naive. Like I said, I, I had just gotten into the animal care world. And I thought, hey, I have two of these internships. Uh, I have a good relationship with the curator and she knows people all across the country. Uh, it'll be really easy to get a job. And as we all know, <laughs> that is not the case. Uh, so I, I spent about uh, two or three months, even just towards the end of it, applying to places and just not even getting the no's. It was just the the no responses, um, and so that was that was rough at first. Um, even places you know close by in Little Rock that uh, I was thinking it's like, oh, they will have heard of this place. I'm sure I'll give it. Yeah, it was it was slow going for a while, um, but then uh, I finally heard back from Fossil Room Wildlife Center uh, in Texas. Um, it's a very large um, kind of safari style 
uh, center where they do a lot of a lot of endangered species breeding. Uh, and I finally heard back from their carnivore department, which was like awesome. I was I thought this was going to be the last place I would hear back from. Um, and uh, they called me, or they get. I think they sent me an email, set up a Skype interview. Uh, actually, it was on my birthday that I had this Skype interview. And then that, later nice. that day, yeah, they called me back like maybe two hours afterwards and said, hey, we want to bring out for a working interview. And I was like, great. I'm like 45 minutes away. I can do it whenever. Uh, so came out the next day for a working interview. And uh, it was a strange working interview compared to other ones that I've done now. I didn't know this at the time because it's my first one. But um, I was. it was uh, basically me and the guy that I work with kind of just driving around and going through his daily activities. And, you know, we did a little bit of poo scooping and a little bit of, um, you know, animal care and food prep stuff. And, but it was a lot of chatting and he, it turns out he was just like trying to feel me out. Like if, uh, you know, he's the person I could hang out with and he was like, yeah, it's really here. Like for me, like I've seen your credentials and stuff. And I think, I know you're going to be a hard worker and I've talked to your references and, uh, I just want to see if I can hang out with you and like be someone that I'm going to <laughs> not hate working with. And I was like, that's cool. And so they actually hired me later that afternoon and uh, started working four days later <laughs> at uh, Fossil Rim. That's awesome, man. Did you did you tell them it was your birthday by chance? I did. Yeah, I did. Actually, I think uh, during the working interview when we were talking, I didn't say it during the first interview because... <laughs> I didn't know anyone then, but yeah, I think I mentioned it afterwards. Uh, yeah, so it was a good little, good little birthday present. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, I've only done one working interview, and yeah, they just like what was at Coyote Point Museum in San Mateo, California, which is now called Curiosity, and like they had me like it was weird. I the director and the I think she was like the lead or some, lead keeper or something like that. They walked me around and. They were like, okay, clean this indoor holding pen. Like, really? You're just going to watch me clean this pen? And they they definitely did. And like would make notes like, are you sure you're done? And I'd like be all nervous. Like, I literally see nothing else that could possibly be clean. <laughs> and then uh, the one that sticks out to me the most, those giant Rubbermaid tubs that have the little plug in the bottom uh, mm -hmm. to, to drain them. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're right. using for pools or whatever, um, yeah, yeah. or water troughs or whatever. Uh, they had said they were like, okay, it was a full one. They like, okay, uh, empty and clean that thing. So I like take drain out, clean it, and they're like, okay, good, you passed that one. And most people try to like, you know, muscle the the two hundred pounds of water in this thing and just dump it out the top. So you pass that one. So, uh, yeah, that, so. you only do that when you're feeling uh, extra show off that day. But now <laughs> those yeah, are so exactly. heavy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um well cool man so so you sound like so you did carnivores obviously at, at at the turpentine creek um so did you know at that point that you need to work carnivores or is that as a way to get your foot in the door because um, you that was the kind of the experience that you got early on yes i've been wanting to do carnivores specifically uh since college um i really can't think of exactly when it was that i thought carnivores is what i'm interested in um but there's i went to i was able to go to africa actually in college twice um my college had this program that they'll actually you know give you basically stipends or like partial payments for these projects that students devise and they gave me probably almost two-thirds to three-quarters of the money i needed to go to africa and do these projects wow which is a lot i mean that's you know these five-week projects each and um yeah, so uh, they were both carnivore, or I say that one of them was carnivore related, one of them was elephant related, but it had a little bit of uh, human wildlife conflicts involved with it. Uh, and I think that's just when I kind of learned the most about them and like started to like understand carnivores more. I mean, even to this day, it's like I'll, I'll talk to um, host stock keepers and they're like, oh yeah you know the giraffe was like this and someone made this comment i was like oh, that's obviously wrong and i was like oh i didn't know that <laughs> like i don't know of stock behavior that well i know carnivore behavior really well um so it's like it just kind of uh even now just makes the most sense to me and uh because of that like i've been trying to stick with it as much as possible and uh yeah you know 
Turpentine Creek, all carnivores, uh, then yeah, working with carnivores at Fossil Rim. So, so specific, let's get a little bit more specific. When you say carnivore, do you mean like specific one type of bears too, or like, is there one uh, like species or, or a group of, uh, I guess, taxa that you're most interested in and, and want to work with? Yeah. Um, not real specific, uh, kind of the cats, the, you know, um, mid to large size predators are the ones I probably know the best and, um, I'm most interested in, uh, but I've worked with much smaller like i mean if also room we had black-footed cats which are you know the smallest cats um so anything from there up um it's mostly the felines is kind of what i look at like i don't know as much the aquatic carnivores or um birds of prey or anything like that as much um yeah kind of kind of more of those mammalian ones are uh what i'm most interested in and what i know the best as well working with that fossil rim then like specifically where like just was it yeah. all, pretty much all cats um it was actually not that many cats um they have the cheetahs there they're one of the biggest cheetah breeding facilities uh aza breeding facilities in the country um and i was kind of uh assistant on that but i was um a bit of like an intern supervisor and like kind of kind of headed the rest of the carnivore area, which was uh, gray, uh, Mexican gray wolves, red wolves, maned wolves, um, black-footed cats, and then we randomly had a, a quaddy uh, in there. Um, but yeah, so those were, those were a lot different animals than I knew. I mean, hell, <laughs> maned wolves are part vegetarian, so, uh, so it, was, it was a little bit different for me, but um, still great experience there. Yeah, I, uh, I I take care of a pair of Maine wolves right now. We had two females and we traded them to uh, Boise uh, for several litters up there. But uh, the pup survived. I think one of the one of the one of the litters she ate. Another litter just they weren't taken care of. Mm. Uh, so now we have an I think we have an agreement with them to uh, uh, hand raise this these ones, which you know I have a little bit of mixed feelings about. But yeah, uh, I, that, that was the agreement we made to to get that pair. But uh, they're an interesting species, man. They're way different than anything else. They're so weird. <laughs> like, yeah, they they were like most of their diet. You know, you know, had their their kibble, and then like we'd throw them avocados, and it's just like this is a a wolf that goes up to your waist eating avocados. It's very peculiar. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you can just be in with them and they're mostly fine you know they're a little bit oh, yeah. skittish or whatever but yeah yeah, yeah. like our yeah our both of our sets have have had different diets the last set really any fruits fruits and veggies i mean they didn't even really like we offered them to them but they didn't like them this mm. set came in and uh they said they liked all kinds of fruits and vegetables but the only, only thing we can really get them to eat is is, is banana um oh. uh, but they still get that standard you know main wolf chow uh, right, they, right. They seem to like okay, but not their favorite. Might yeah. seems to be the the best thing for us so far with these two. But we have uh, some some pups on the ground, so that would be interesting. I've never I've had work with babies of them, so yeah. Um. So okay. So post. Well, let's talk about first towards the end of fossil rim. What what kind of prompted you to to move on from there, and then where did you go after fossil rim? Yeah. So fossil rim was as much as it wasn't as much as I enjoyed doing it. It was kind of an interesting one. Um, like I said, I was it, I kind of came in as like a supervisor of that carnivore area, uh, not including the cheetahs. And um, after my probationary period, um, they actually let me go from it uh, just because they were looking for a different skill set that I had. Like I said, I was very green coming into it, and I think they understood that, and they kind of just wanted to tested out you know um they told me it was like they really liked me as a person and like were really upset that like uh it wasn't working out but um just my supervisor skills weren't there and kind of weren't to the level they needed it was a it was a two-person department and a curator oh, um wow. so it was yeah i mean it was me an intern and the guy over the cheetahs and so they were like yeah we just really need someone that can kind of stay on top of it more than you're able to right now uh it's nothing you know they're like it's not a knock against you and i was like well that's very nice but uh yeah <laughs> it I doesn't got, feel I like that like, right <laughs> i know you know when you're sitting there you're just like is it in it though but uh but no I, I mean i've seen them afterwards and still talk to them and um i actually saw uh the now director and uh director of operations at uh the last aza conference um talked to them for a while and 
all jovial and everything. So uh, it just wasn't the right fit. Um, so four months after that, four months after I started, I was uh, back on the hunt, um, as it were. And uh, it was a bit of a longer hunt this time. Uh, like so, I mean, I wasn't looking for anything at the time, so I had to start from ground zero when I didn't have a job, um, and started waiting tables just to get money for a while. And it is, oh, it was the worst thing ever. I, I actually, when I uh, finally found a place about four or five months, well, probably about six months later, uh, that asked me for an interview. That day, I t put in my two-week notice to the restaurant because I was like, even if I don't get this place, I don't want to work here anymore. Like it was just terrible. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, it was a whole lot, whole lot longer of a process. And actually, only just recently uh, was looking back through all the places that I applied. It was like it was almost like fifteen to twenty places. Um, I didn't it's a grind, man. that many. Grind. Yeah, it is a it was a grind. And uh, yeah, so I finally got my. Um, Working interview um, at a small zoo called Frank Buck Zoo in uh, North Texas. Uh, it's just above Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, it's a ZAA zoo, a very small city-owned place. Um, I always laugh because you know I talk to other keepers and they talk about their small zoos they worked at, and I always ask them just to like kind of gauge how small of a place they worked, how many keepers they had, and they're like, oh, you know, it's like 15, 20, 30. I'm like, okay. Uh, there at full capacity staff, Frank Book Zoo had nine keepers. Wow. Yeah. So, and and we still had you know a couple hundred animals. It was a square mile, probably. Uh, how many acres? I think it was about nine to fifteen. Uh, I think it's like nine acres area, uh, four different sections, and um, yeah. So I I got my job there and kind of continued with it um, with keeping and still with carnivores there. Uh, it was actually not carnivores. So this was, uh, like I said, I was kind of getting to that desperation point where I just wanted a job anywhere that was not waiting tables. It was uh, yeah. South American animals. Um, so it was, like I said, it being such a small zoo, the sections didn't really make sense. It had llamas, alpacas, uh, white-faced sake, um, mutton jack, uh, kangaroos and wallabies, and uh, lesserias. So it was really kind of the catch-all section like if it didn't fit in the others it went to the <laughs> south america section uh, but it gave me like a big variety of yeah. uh, of different animals so i liked it a lot yeah the, that's nice to be able to you know even even if it's not necessarily what you want to ultimately doing at least make yourself have a more diverse skill set so that you know you have more 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 doors can open for you in other places um, yes so so again uh it came to what what prompted you to move on from that place uh yeah so i was there for almost a year and a half um working that section and event you know later on started up a uh, double uh cross section into birds and reptiles as well so even more animals that i got to work nice. with um and uh it was just a size zoo where there wasn't a lot of stratification it was keeper level. There were two senior keepers and then the director. Uh, no curator or leads or anything in between. So uh, the two um, senior keepers I knew were going to be there for a long time. <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to be jumping them anytime soon. Um, and I was kind of, kind of bottom rung even through that whole period in my own section. So I was like, you know, this supervising is not going to happen anytime soon. Um, as much as I like the keeping, I, I do want to be able to move up later in life. Uh, and I didn't think it was like holding me back, but it's just like, it wasn't, I wasn't getting that aspect out of it. Yeah. Um, so I'd actually had a friend that had done this uh, program at Colorado state um, three, four years ago. Uh, graduated from it, uh, so I was a little bit familiar with it, and you know, did some research into it. Talked to the program advisor and uh, applied to it, and got into it, and uh, started in August 2017. Okay, so that last place, uh, I'm sorry, I already forgot the name. Frank Bucks. Frank Bucks. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, so that was the last place you worked. So you've 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 moved to Colorado. You haven't worked at a zoo in Colorado. You've moved from Texas Keeper to this program at, at Colorado State. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, all right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I finished at Frank Bugs after about a year and a half and then went to Colorado State. 
Well, so while you're doing this, while you've been doing this college program, has this been, have you, have you been basically a full-time student there or have you continued to do volunteering or anything on the outside or, or kind of just your focus has been getting through this, this master's program? Yeah. So it's, um, I have been basically a full-time student. Um, it's Fort Collins itself where the university is, doesn't have, um, a zoo or anything itself. Denver is like an hour away. Uh, so it's not too <laughs> far, but, uh, especially the first year, uh, it's very heavy class load um, and just a lot of work. Um, I think we went three or four weekends without having any days off. Oh man! We're doing different field trips and different uh, certification classes, and uh, it was yeah, it wasn't something where I could like hop on and go down to Denver every once in a while, yeah, and do stuff. It was it was very <laughs> dense. Uh, sure. Yeah, but uh, the good thing about it is built into the curriculum, it has um, our capstone project and our big research, um, and it's connected to whatever zoo you can find, really, and that you can do projects with. Oh, cool. Um, so I did, ended up doing mine at uh, Denver Zoo um, and worked with the, actually the audience and research evaluation uh, group. And they were doing uh, visitor perception on carcass feeding. Uh, so it was a nice little tie-in back to carnivores. Um, and I'd been very interested in, you know, how people perceive zoos and what kinds of things can help people like them better and view them better, uh, which uh, I think all zoos are very interested in right now. Um, so I thought it was a really good, interesting uh, project to work on. So I started that uh, the summer following my first year. Yep, that I I have a results of that finding because I'm I I'm a, a and I think most really at this point are huge proponents of of feeding carcass feeds as much. As the the behaviors we get to elicit in our animals and really the, and and really the post. A feast, if you will, a uh, reaction to that kind of stuff. So um, we've, we're, we're starting to try to move that direction uh, to provide as much carcass feeds and more natural feed, whole food items, you know, right. instead of the, this process, Nebraska or, or Omaha or whatever you might be feeding. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in that because I have I, I have my own kind of like perception of what the public thinks. Um, but I'd love to hear like what an actual study, uh, what kind of results that that, uh, that, that came out with. Yes, uh, and I and I think that's a great point, man. You have your own perception of it, and I think everyone has their own thought about it. And uh, even when I was talking to Denver Zoo, they were saying, "It's like you know, this is something we wanted to do for a long time, but you know, they said like their nutritionist at one point uh, said that they didn't think they should do it, um, like out in the public area, and but they were okay with them doing it in the back, just not in the public, and they were like, so." why is our nutritionist telling us not to do this? And uh, they, they were like, okay, we really want a study to be able to show our higher ups. People don't care if it's, uh, if they're seeing a carcass being fed out, uh, it's better for the animal's welfare. Uh, it's better for their morphology. Even I mean, there's a lot of studies on uh, even just jaw musculature and uh, all of their musculature goes along with carcass feeding uh, makes them healthier and you know closer to how they are in the wild and uh so they just want to see is like all right is is this actually okay with the public because if we want to provide the best care for our animals this is included in it um so yeah uh what we found was that for the most part people are very positive about it um i even took my uh research a little bit further into uh, what's called whole body carcass feedings. So it still has all the fur and the head and the hooves. Because uh, a lot of places do it where uh, you really can't tell what it is. It's like a rib cage or a hip or something like that. And there's nothing, no fur or anything on it. Um, but yeah, you know, interviewing people um, for a long time during the day, uh, just asking them, like, all right, if uh, this animal was fed out, um, would you be comfortable watching it? Uh, and it still had all of its, you know, identifiable features. And yeah, we found that like for almost every animal, uh, they're very okay with it. And they said, yeah, we'd be comfortable watching it. Ironically, uh, you're mentioning Nebraska and stuff, you know, it's horse meat, uh, which a lot of people don't yeah. know. And we don't necessarily advertise, but uh, ironically, horse was the lowest rated 
comfortable uh comfortable uh only <laughs> only about 55 percent of people were okay with horse being fed out so wow uh, that's interesting yeah. I know. I was like, well, I won't tell you what we're actually feeding then, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, so I, I, I might've missed it, but did you differentiate between in the study was it differentiated between uh carcass with and without, uh, beak without heads um, break it down at that level? Yeah. To an extent. Um, so I'm, I'm writing the paper on it right now and, Hopefully, oh, okay. get published. But um, essentially, I started off with like paper surveys of people of uh, about if they were comfortable with it, have without the all the food, uh, the fur and the head and stuff, um, and kind of had a not really a control group because it wasn't being tested per se, but you know, uh, handed them surveys when there wasn't a carcass out, and then handed them a car uh, surveys when there was a carcass out. Mm -hmm. And kind of just saw how the ratings changed of how comfortable they sure. were, how uh, how they liked the zoo, how they how happy they thought the animals were. Uh, a lot of different measures like that. Uh, and then a second part of the study was the interviewing process, which was uh, just about um, the whole body carcass with with all the head, fur, feet, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, it, they they can't really like I I don't have it set up so that you could cross-check them on each other because it's mm -hmm. different questions that were being asked um but uh d the denver zoo is particularly interested in if they could do the whole body carcass feeding type stuff because it's it's just easier yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. to not have it be processed right so um so yeah right now is is, is we're, we're getting more and is you know free from any kind of disease or or, or whatever uh, we have we have a, a pretty conservative vet staff i would say in general which you know is good 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 and bad right. in terms sure. of getting supplies and things like that um but right now we're at the point where no fur and no head so i'm hoping at some point uh we get to we can just here you go uh um because i like 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 i said I, I my my opinion was just from talking with guests in front of the polar bear exhibit you know we get questions like you know where are the seals and oh you'd be okay with the seal and the seal in there right uh, yeah <laughs> way obviously the zoo would ever do anything like that or any zoo would ever do anything um but it does seem like the people that would have a problem with that kind of thing is a very small vocal minority and it's such a shame that like they uh kind of weigh heavier than the the majority that would prefer to see more natural feed you know exactly yeah so because you know there's that big push of zoos being as natural as possible um but then, but at the same time, we don't want to see all the. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to know where our food comes from, right? <laughs> make, make it uh, natural. We just don't want to see it be natural. It's like, okay, okay I don't know what you want from us. <laughs> you said natural. The no, uh, but but Europe is that's the one place that they're way ahead of us on, obviously. And, oh yes, uh, yeah. there's been all the there's been all the controversy about the Copenhagen Zoo and how they manage their different populations. But uh, I think most keepers are are pretty on board with that. Um, right. They're. Uh, uh, there is a, there is an article that for for keepers that are listening, if they're at zoo circus feed, um, one of one of the really great substitutions we found uh, as keepers to be able to do bungee feeds, um, you know, take uh, a shank or because most places will still feed rabbits at this point, um, you know, take those kind of things and put them on bungee feeds because it gives the 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 kind of it's it's obviously not the same as a predator prey response, but it, the bungee kind of fights back with them. And there's a paper uh, uh, called and particularly stress hormones that kind of cause stereotypic behaviors. And that, that even, even though it's not like a full carcass or, or, or more specifically a prey item, that prey item that's going to fight back with them, it does kind of reduce those stereotypic behaviors is kind of really the outcome of that, that yeah. article, if you guys wanted to check that out. So, so yeah, all about that and any more evidence and, and papers that we can get to support that argument is awesome. So thank you so much. Oh yeah. For doing yeah. That. There's, if, if you look, there's quite a few, um, Articles talking about that, like I mean, like I was talking about the jaw morphology, and yeah, the the bungee mm -hmm. one is one that I saw in my research, and um, I mean, kind of a lot of aspects. Uh, there's even you know social. There's now ones about social feeding uh, with like wild dogs or um, those kind of animals, like it social behavior. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of advantages to it, and I think uh, just a lot of zoos. I mean, it, just kind of wanting to <laughs> kind of kind of hold back on uh, if people are comfortable with it. And so we're trying to, trying to break that uh, stereotype or that kind of that false thought, I guess. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, Cause like I said, you know, I'm trying to demonstrate um, 
what a whole body carcass feeding would look like for these guests as I'm interviewing them. But Denver Zoo doesn't do them yet, so I can't show them that. And we were actually using uh, videos from Oregon Zoo that does okay. whole body carcass feeding. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a 30 second clip, but definitely shows uh, shows them tearing at a, I guess it's a water buffalo or something. Um, but yeah, just a little mm-hmm. YouTube clip and um, people, were, people were very okay with it for the most part. One we've done is at, at Polar Bears, we had, I think it was five lamb carcasses and we just like kind of put them hung them like shackled them up to the wall uh put one like shackled underwater we just kind of put them all over the exhibit and i swear that that male bear we have which is maybe the pickiest eat carnivore i've ever i've ever worked with ever like he did nothing but for sit in front of those carcasses it was amazing to see and then the next three days and the responses afterwards so exactly uh, i think it's it's three days of like enriched food enrichment yeah you know like you don't even have to feed them those days because they're just working at those like the whole time you know so and navigating you know the the social uh, like you said the social uh, complexities of, of navigating these carcasses with two other bears in the exhibit and and, and all that too um we've also gotten to the point where we had we've had fish donations once a month so now mm. a live bass in the pool for them to hunt uh, they're, they're getting really good at that now so just all of these more or better ways really to, to take care of our carnivores. Um, and, yeah. and you putting papers out like this will definitely help keep pushing that in the right direction. Um, well, before we get out of here, an embarrassing story. So I know you right. Tell us a, a funny or embarrassing story involving an animal or a guest or something. Uh, yeah, I've got, so I, I was trying to think of these, uh, when I decided I was going to do this, I've got a couple, they were both at Frank Buck zoo. Uh, the first one was actually my very first day of working there. It was more with people than it was with animals, but uh, I had apparently the night before eaten some uh, bad microwave Chinese food, <laughs> and I woke up that morning and I just felt terrible. But it was like it was my first day. I'm not gonna like call in sick on my first day, right? So I'm walking through and I'm oh, you know man. with the um, senior keeper of the section, and we're going around and we're doing our training, and probably like two hours into it, I just felt terrible and. Uh, we were like behind the scenes. You hadn't opened yet. Uh, and w- she was walking in front of me and kind of like turned the corner and I just like felt it coming. And <laughs> I turned and went behind a tree and just threw up on my first day. And I was like, please just tell me that you kept walking and I can run and race up to you real quick. And I turn around and she's standing on the path just looking at me with this face like, oh my gosh what is going on are you okay and i was like i'm fine i swear it was just some like bad food poisoning or something i'm good for the rest of the day and uh and i thought she hadn't told anyone until like six months later she told everyone that day uh of course at lunch so uh no one else no one else mentioned it to me ever until like well down the pro uh down my job but uh yeah that was just a really great way to start my job was throwing up in front of my my supervisor so <laughs> yeah that uh, was- i have a i have a i have a relative uh, a similar story maybe maybe a little bit worse because it caused an entire team to get sick is there anywhere but when a supervisor came on board uh, he invited everybody over for uh like a like a pot, not a, know, not a pot. Like he provided all the food, but for uh, I don't know some boxing match or something. Just a just a team building exercise, I guess. Uh, and the next day, uh, basically everyone on the team was was sick and throwing up like everywhere. One my I had to throw a rock and they came out and gave the talk. <laughs> oh, uh, and it, it turned it turned out that his kid had some kind of stomach virus. Uh, and he was running around, you know, uh, who knows what he was touching, what he wasn't touching, but, but basically like everybody, but three people on the team got caught it too. And it was like two days of, of calling in. It's the first time I've ever called in sick two days though. Oh, wow. Not great. great. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Not great. It, it, yeah. So to this day, he will, I mean, he will never live that down for, for coming on board and, and poisoning his entire team. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I sure never lived but, it down. They still give me a hard time about it when I talk to them. <laughs> you say you had, had one more? Yeah, I had one more. Um, so this one was uh, later also at Frank Buck. Um, it's towards the end of when I worked there. Uh, but we had a, a professional animal trainer come in that lived in Texas. Um, 
and for our little zoo this is a pretty big deal because i mean nine staff and you have like a animal trainer that goes to large aza zoos and waza zoos across the world and she's coming to help us do our training and it's like that's great uh so we were all you know not that we're not always on our best behavior but we were on our you know up and up tidiness and um we were doing training for a uh, sake monkey in my section and uh before i had gotten there the keeper that um basically i replaced the left one uh before i got there um had been told you know uh to make a target uh for the sake monkey to do target training and we didn't really have like a targeting stick so she was like you know just like take an old piece of enrichment that we don't use anymore and make it something you can hang on the fence so you can kind of like a station sort of thing it's like okay uh turns out that this toy was a rubber bone uh that was cut in half and you know had a carabiner attached to it and there's not really a good way to say this except that when you cut a bone shaped toy in half it looks very phallic <laughs> and so we had this uh this is our target for our sake and this is the target that they knew so i have this uh trainer uh you know national renowned trainer that we're showing around and uh we're gonna show her target training and she records all the stuff just so like for her stuff and put it online and um all you know i'm starting to train this thing and i just know i'm like this is the most ridiculous looking thing i've ever seen and it turns out because i would never done the target training before it turns out the way that our sake targets is uh it would reach underneath the wire and just kind of reach underneath and around so basically it looked like it was cupping the testicles for lack of a better term and she's just like she's recording but she's just cracking up every single time the sake targets and at the end of it she's like that was really good i can't use any of this footage because you just have a phallic shape that this sake is fondling uh on the fence and i was just so embarrassed that entire time so she she actually like gave us a targeting stick to use instead after that so we got a free targeting stick out of the deal you know, but uh it was it was yeah. just so weird yeah you know she's gonna remember that for her entire life so that's that's a great story i think oh yeah yeah i uh <laughs> once we uh replaced that um we were told to get rid of it and uh i actually uh took it and i have it still so <laughs> that is so. fantastic that's yep. fantastic uh, well, thank you so much, Brad, for being on the show. Uh, at the end here, I usually like to give my guests uh, a, a chance to kind of and just if you want to talk about whether it's your current research or or uh, you know anything else about zookeeping that you might want to put out there. Yeah, uh, I feel like we talked about my research a lot. Uh, I am going to be, like I said, uh, hoping to publish it. Um, if not, um, when I went to the AZA conference this year, I handed out a bunch of cards. Um, I'm pretty easy to find on Facebook if you wanted to shoot me a message and I can send off my final results. But yeah, uh, I was trying to think of like just things I like to talk about. I like to talk about anything zoo related, which is why I love this program so much because like almost everyone in it is just people that love zoos and love talking about zoos. But So you recommend, just, you recommend anyone uh, going through that program if they wanted to get some kind of experience like you're getting? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like I, said, I mean, it's a master's degree. It's not a bachelor's degree because, you know, there's yep. the um, associate degree programs uh, in Florida and California. Uh, but the, yeah, it's a, it's a master's degree. Um, supervisor stuff is what people are going for and they're coming out of it. Um, so if you want to go for that stuff, like it's a it's a good program for it. And uh, we're getting more and more connections uh, as the years go on. It's a fairly young program. It's like, we've only had five graduating classes, um, but uh almost everyone has you know gone off and spread across the country back to where they came from and are getting jobs and uh we go to AZA every year get more connections with people um so yeah i mean it's uh it's going places it's uh, it's a really good program but yes i i definitely suggest it but yeah i was just thinking like okay other things i want to talk about there's so many different things i guess like kind of the final thing that i have for just like zoos and just kind of people that work in the zoo field is it's a rough field as far as you know just a lot of groups beating down zoos right now um and uh i, I just feel like 
sometimes that zoos maybe don't do enough to back themselves up uh, for fear of repercussions or whatever. But at the same time, my kind of my view on it, uh, personal view, is that you know if we don't, they're gonna animal rights groups are gonna keep pounding away at it, and you know if, if we're not telling people, hey, AZA zoos gave a quarter of a billion dollars to conservation last year, who's gonna tell them that? You know, um, so I, I I kind of feel like you know we gotta kind of get our own word out there and. Um, spread spread the good news of zoos and all the work that we do yeah yeah, yeah. preach brother yeah i i completely <laughs> agree uh my my new i guess it's not new but my my feelings now is that zoos we pretending like our the people that visit our zoos are are not smart and that they just don't have all the information they could ever pop on their hands or in their pocket you know with their phones they can pull out mm-hmm. and call call BS on anything that you say so it, we need to be as an industry transparent with any everything that we do absolutely kind of guess all the time they come to the zoo that, that clearly don't know what's going on they don't know the difference between a lion and a tiger uh, <laughs> yeah I've, I've literally as, met as, those people yeah so i mean we all we all have but 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 you know those are i, I we, we can't say that we can't treat all of our 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 patrons uh, uh in, in that manner we have to realize that there's these are smart people um as a whole and that they're going to figure stuff out if we keep lying to them about dumb stuff that there are things that we know we're not that good at still, and we need to be honest about that and 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 put it out there that we know that this is a problem and it's something we're going to work. I mean, if you look at zookeeping as an industry, even as, as as short as a decade ago compared to where here, let alone thirty years okay. ago, we've come light years from from all that stuff, and and we're just continuing to get better. So, right. um, absolutely great final thought there, Brad. Um, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you reaching out and, and wanting to do an episode. Yeah, absolutely. I love the podcast. Uh, I have an hour commute uh, to graduate school right now, so I've been powering through all the podcasts that I can. So, yeah. <laughs> Nice. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And guys, uh, seriously, out there, this show can't exist without you. So if you'd like to tell your story, please reach out to me. Brad, if you got any friends that might want to come on the show, let them know. I'll, I'll pass uh, it around uh, my, uh, my, <laughs> my cohort. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much, everybody. I hope uh, we'll have another episode of Zookeeper Stories uh, sooner than later. So have a great week, month, uh, however long it is. Till next time. See you guys. Thank you for listening to the Zookeeper Stories podcast. I hope you learned something about zookeeping and had a few laughs along the way. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes and Stitcher. It really helps me to grow the show and continue to improve. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, you can send an email to zookeeperstories at gmail.com or tweet me at zookeeperstory. 